this Sunday's uh, a little bit different as well because we have a guest speaker and uh, we have our pastoral candidates, uh, David and Ann Bayshore, here to speak. Uh, the bio sheet has been out in the cafe, so you probably are familiar with uh, much of their background. Uh, they're from Jerome, Idaho. And uh, I know that most of you have taken advantage of the opportunity uh, both yesterday at the open house and then this morning at the breakfast to meet them and, and have a chat. Uh, I can tell you that both David and Ann have a real heart for service um, and have dedicated their lives to that. Uh, David's going to speak in a minute, but I've asked Ann to come up for a few minutes and just share a little bit of her heart with you. And then right after she's done, David will come up and give us the message for this morning. Okay, well, uh, first of all, I'm Anne. Um, I really kind of didn't know what I should speak about. <laughs> I was told I had to speak less than I did at the open house. So <laughs> I apologize if I get carried away again. Um, but as we were sitting here, as I was just praying, like, Lord, what do you want me to say? <laughs> what do I say? Because um, I don't like talking about myself. And I feel like a lot of us know exactly what that like. that's like. We don't want talking about, like talking about ourselves. And I really felt like God said, well, why would you talk about yourself? Why wouldn't you talk about me and what I have done for you? And it's Christ in me that has me standing here today. Um, it is it is the Lord asking me several years ago if I would be willing to give all for his service. And it started with my willingness to just say, I want to be able to say yes. I wasn't sure if I could say yes then, but I wanted to be able to say yes, Lord, to anything that he asked of me. And that's why we're here today. It's been a very long journey. I feel like the journey is not over. Um, I'm still very much a work in progress, but I can say just as Jesus talks about in John 15, you know, without abiding in Christ, I am nothing. Anything that I do is for his glory. I hope, I hope you guys get less of me and more of him um, through this. And so my heart really is just for the lost. Um, God has really opened my eyes to just how many people my life touches every day that they may never see another example of Christ in their lives, that they may never get another moment of truth, that they may never get another moment of real authentic love and that's where my burden is, and, and that extends to not only the, the people in the church. We need to love each other just as much as we need to love the world. It starts here. If we can love the people who are like-minded, who do believe like we do, who do come together as part of us, then we can take that. And when we invite people, that's what catches them. It kindles this fire for, there is hope here. There is love here. God gave us so much. And he came to give us life and life more abundant. And so that's where my heart really is. It started, I, I will confess, <laughs> I did not like people. <laughs> I am more introverted. I, I can be extroverted, but I am definitely an introvert at the end of the day. And I didn't really like people. And God just kind of was like, but, but I do. And can you love my people for me, you know, for my sake? I'm going to cry. I'm sorry. I'm not emotional, but I am. <laughs> um, it's, 
And, and I just, and through that, through this process, like I said, it has been a long journey. We have been, you know, felt called and we didn't know where that looked or what it meant. And, um, and just knowing that really at the end of the day, there are people in our paths right here, right now. The minute we walk out of this building, we will cross paths with dozens of people that may never hear the name Jesus if we aren't the ones being him to them. And so that's really my heart. And as we prayerfully hope that you guys consider having us as your pastors or inviting us here permanently, um, that's really, that's where my focus is. That's where God has led me. He's led me to be very mission-minded, but missional in that this is our mission field, where we live, the street we're on. If we're not Jesus to our neighbors, who is? Who are we waiting to reach them? You know, if not us. And and I am very much, um, I really love empowering and equipping the saints to show, like, we don't have to be Greg Laurie to turn lives and change lives. We don't have to be the next Billy Graham to impact our community, to have a really just a deep impact and and an authentic relationship and connection with them. It's just as simple as being real and loving them and talking to them and caring about them. And that is something that the world does not offer but we offer it through Christ. And so that's really my heart. My husband will come and share, and you'll get to hear more of him. And so, like I said, I just, I, I'm i very transparent. So please, if you guys want to connect with me on Facebook, if you want to talk to me, if you want any of that, we can give our information to the Coleman's, and they can easily pass it along to all of you guys. And I, I already am, like, madly in love with your church. It's such a neat little body. You guys are all just amazing servants and stewards. I love that you use the word stewards. But we just we are so humbled and honored and blessed that you even considered this little couple from Jerome, Idaho, to come across the, the country and just fellowship with you. Even just these few days have been just such a blessing. So thank you. I don't know about you guys, but I... I think she's pretty amazing. I think I'll, I think I'll keep her. I'm very glad to to be with you guys this morning and excited um, just to to share a little bit about what God's been showing me when I um, when I thought, well, coming out to Arnold, I know that means I have to speak, which is fine. There was a point in my life where I worked in journalism for ten years, and I was like, I didn't really care that forty thousand people read what I wrote, but if you got me in front of a room in front of six people, forget it. But that's a testament, again, to what God has done in my life. And I'm excited to be here, and when I'm sitting here thinking, Lord, you're going to have me speak on something, and I have no idea what to, what to say. Um, I asked the Lord, and felt he kind of gave me carte blanche to do whatever, and I'm like, well, I still don't know what I'm going to say, so Anne, what do you think? <laughs> And she, uh, she, in a lot of ways, challenges me and spurs me to be a better, um, better student of the word and, and a better communicator of the word, I guess, if you will. Um, and so she said, why don't you try this? And I went ahead and rolled with it. And the more I studied it, the more uh, I realized that it was... A, totally basically our path, and B, totally applicable because 
I would be speaking on January 1st, 2017. And so before we jump into the text, I'm going to frame this from the perspective of making a resolution. And if there's one resolution that I can challenge you guys with, that I'm going to challenge myself with, it is to handle my encounters with Christ the way that the person we're going to talk about today did. If I can do one promise to myself or one goal for myself, I prefer the, goal, the word goal rather than resolution. If I have one goal for myself this year, that is that goal, and I wish for you guys to have that goal as well. We talk about making New Year's resolutions. That's the thing. A survey I looked up last week from the University of Scranton said that the uh, percentage of Americans who make New Year's resolutions on an every year or usual basis is about 62%. Out of that 62% of Americans, the people who are usually successful in keeping those New Year's resolutions, 8%. But those who explicitly make those resolutions, those that write them down and make them a habit every day, whether it's on the wall calendar and you go and say, I'm going to run a mile every day, and then you go run the mile and you cross an X on the calendar, or you leave little notes around your house, or you commit it to memory, you make it a fabric of everything you do every day, you're 10 times more likely to meet your goal than you are if you just say, oh, it would be nice, and it's just kind of a spoken thing. I'm going to do this this year. I'm going to resolve not to eat bacon this Oops. But we, we see, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning, we see several different people who have resolved to follow Jesus in different ways. And that's kind of the crux of what we're going to be talking about today. We, we have the, the rich young ruler who's very abstract. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do? I want eternal life. That's a, it's a verbally stated goal of mine. What do I have to do? And Jesus lays it out for him, says, do these things. You've heard it said, you know, love your neighbor, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, all these things. And Jesus gives him all of the things that are treating your neighbors. He doesn't really deal with the four commandments that have to deal with us and God. And he says, I've kept all those from my youth. I've done everything the law has expected of me. I've fulfilled the letter of the law to perfection. Jesus said, well, one thing you lack then. Sell everything you have and follow me. And he went away sad because he had riches. Because he wanted to do what he thought would get him eternal life without actually understanding what it means to follow Christ. You see the same, the, the disciples contrast themselves. They say, see Lord, we've given all, we're good, what do we get? And Jesus says, you're going to drink from my cup and you're going to be baptized with the same baptism that I am going to be baptized with. Can you handle that? And he challenges them. But he also says, nobody who has forsaken these things will not get it back a hundredfold. Obviously, kind of hyperbole. A hundredfold is not exactly an exact number, because if you forsook your wife or your mother, and then you got a hundred of those, that would be kind of weird. But... Jesus starts getting to the heart of the matter. And the main part of the text we're going to be in today is Mark 10. It's going to be 35 through 52. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and 
open up there. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James, just so you guys are aware. I'm aware there are several different uh, translations and versions through the audience. So just so you guys know where I'm at, so you're like, wait, that word's not in my Bible. That is good. Jesus um, has just predicted again, we're going to Jerusalem, we're almost to the triumphal entry, and he says, the Son of Man's going to be taken, and he's going to be condemned to death, and he's going to be delivered to the Gentiles, and they're going to mock him, they're going to scourge him, they're going to spit on him, and they're going to kill him. Oh, but on the third day, he's going to rise again. And so that is what Jesus has just explained when he goes in and gives really his last example um, of servanthood, which is the entire gospel of Mark, is about servanthood. Before the triumphal entry, this is his last thing here. So starting in verse 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Sorry, I skipped a verse. (laughs) Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this example that we're going to unpack today with blind Bartimaeus and how it culminates everything that Jesus has been talking about in this gospel of Mark, Lord. I pray that you would just give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, and that we would have a heart that is willing and open to receive the word that you have for your church here at New Hope Chapel this morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, Backing up a little bit, we've had the children have come to Jesus and the disciples have rebuked them and said, no, get the kids out of here. We don't, we don't need them. They're interfering with what our picture of what Jesus is supposed to be doing is. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, don't kick them out. Don't send them away. Let them come because it's like these, that is the kingdom of heaven. You have the rich young ruler who is concerned with his financial security and his earthly estate. 
He doesn't want to give that up to be with Jesus. You have disciples, two of them at least, and their mom, according to other gospels, that are kind of concerned on, on getting in on the authority when Jesus gets to glory. Yeah, you give us this and, and we'll be able to call down that fire that we asked you that we could call down in, in Luke and, and judge people. But then we have Bartimaeus. And he, we're going to see in a little bit, is he's the culmination of everything. The reason that this is written here is because it's the culmination of everything Jesus is trying to say in this chapter. James and John, brothers, the sons of thunder, ask Jesus to do whatever they want. And he asks them, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I want you to hang on to that question because we're going to visit it again in about 20 minutes, hopefully, if I paste right. But we're going to visit that here in a little bit. James and John, as I said, they're the sons of thunder. They're the ones that in Luke 9, they're saying, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on these guys? And now they want to be above the other 10. But it, Jesus says, you know this stuff's going to happen to you. I'm, I'm going to die. It's going to happen to you guys too. Are you ready for that? And they said, we are. Side note, James is the first of the apostles to die. John is the last. So it's Jesus speaking, saying, he's speaking to these two, but he's speaking to the 12, saying, this is what awaits you, but I have called you to follow me. And they say, we're able. They don't fully understand what that means. And that's why Jesus says, it's not mine to give. You know that the Gentiles, we would say, because believers are spiritual Israel, Romans 11 would say, that we can equate that to the world, the way the world works, the way the people that aren't God's people work, is to suck up authority and then lord it over everybody and rule over everybody that way. But Jesus says, no, that's not how it is. He says, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of servanthood. He says, I came not to be served this time. Next time, he'll, he'll come and we'll serve him. But this time, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The gospel is much more than Jesus being our errand boy or saying, you know, it's like Santa's wish list. It's way more than that. Yes, we have access to the Father through Jesus. Yes, they had access right up close to Jesus. And we could say, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They had that communion. They had that fellowship. But the gospel is not that. It is more than power or prestige or those who do the right thing. And that's what Mark is talking about here. Because you have these four examples. You have the kingdom of heaven is like the little children. We ought not to think ourselves better than those. And we must be willing to forsake financial security. And that is the kingdom of service. Those are the three things Jesus has taught so far. And this fourth story, the story of blind Bartimaeus, where I'm going to spend the most time today, um, bundles the previous three together. It's somebody who approaches Jesus with childlike faith. It's somebody who um, desires him more than riches. And it's somebody who approaches him and chases after him with great humility, not thinking all of the amazing things that I can ask of Jesus, but recognizing him for who he is. 
Verse 46, they come to Jericho and we see this healing miracle story. But it's way more than a healing miracle story and that's the reason that this event is placed here. I try to pull everything in its context. I know context is a huge thing here. So, but the, the idea that Mark is trying to convey here is he's contrasting and at the same time summarizing Bartimaeus in the context of the three encounters that have just happened previously in Mark chapter 10. It's the difference between following someone following Christ from afar or even walking with Jesus, just chatting, hey, Jesus, you're my homeboy, you know, and actually understanding going to battle and really following him. So when we see Bartimaeus, and I'll read through here again, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples a great multitude, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now he's blind, obviously, and they call him Bartimaeus, which simply means the son of Timaeus. We have no reason to believe that that's not his name, but that's what everybody called him. Hey, that's Tim's kid, is how everybody knew him. And he was blind, maybe from birth, but certainly for a long time, because everybody knew who he was. And he was there on the road out of Jericho begging. Verse 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He sees Jesus coming by. He's heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. And he knows who he is because of how he addresses him. But he hears that God is moving through in this area of Jericho, and he wants in. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. God is moving. I have a chance to be a part of God moving, and I am absolutely going to jump in right now. Even when people try to discourage him, they're just like, just whatever, just stop. Don't waste his time. He's got bigger things to do than to hear you shouting at him all the time. Bartimaeus, just, just hush and let him do his thing. This is Jesus you're talking about. Jesus is still wandering through like a, like a bit of a traveling rock star. And he, people just trying to shout the, the little people down, so to speak. The same way the disciples rebuked the children, these people are rebuking Bartimaeus saying, just leave him alone, let him pass through. He's got bigger fish to fry than you, buddy. But he cries out all the more, when that happens, and he will not take no for an answer. It reminds me of Jacob when he's wrestling and he's hanging on and and the angel is wrestling with Jacob and Jacob just, he, he just won't give up. He won't quit. God has to fight dirty in a little sense. He has to touch him on the hip and then get him to let go. But he says, I won't go. I won't let go until you bless me. That's how Bartimaeus' mindset is here. He says, Jesus is coming through. This is one, my, maybe my one opportunity in my life to see him, to touch him, to uh, have an encounter with him. And I'm going to lay hold of that with both hands and hang on to it with everything that I have. I don't care what anybody else says. I know God is moving. And I'm going to walk towards where I believe God is moving. And the rest of it doesn't matter. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about what the priests think. I need this more than anything else that I need in my life. And Jesus stops in verse 49 and, says, and 
commands Bartimaeus to be called, and they tell him, they say, rise, be a good cheer. He's calling you. So all of a sudden, everything stopped. They're like, oh, wait, no, you want this guy? Okay, he's calling you, go. But Jesus honored the faith that Bartimaeus proclaimed in that simple statement, son of David, have mercy on me. It's out of the abundance of the mouth that the heart speaks. Jesus is quoted as saying that both in Luke and Matthew. And so Bartimaeus, this is the deepest desire of his heart that he is crying out to the Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy. Psalm 37 says, if you delight in the Lord, he'll grant you the desires of your heart. And we're going to see that's true here because Jesus is about to grant Bartimaeus's wish. He recognizes the belief in this man's heart because of his profession of faith, because he refers to Jesus as the son of David. And if you read Matthew 22, Jesus puts this to the Pharisees and says, who do they say that the Christ is? And they answer to him, the son of David. Jesus puts another question to him to confound their thinking because he challenged the Pharisees thinking all the time. But the point is, the phrase, son of David, is attributed to the Messiah, to the Christ, and to him only. And Bartimaeus recognizes this. And so he cries out and he says, son of David, I believe you are who you have said you are. Have mercy on me, God, in the flesh. Jesus stops. He calls Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus comes obediently, like a child, most of the time. They come when you call them, right? On a good day, no. Bartimaeus comes and, and he stands up, and he, Jesus calls him. He stands up, and what he does is he throws his blanket to the side, and he follows after Jesus. Now, how he, how he may have been sitting, some scholars and historians believe, is that he would be sitting cross-legged and his blanket would be more in his lap and that would be where he would collect alms and they would go in that little pocket when you sit cross-legged. You guys know what I'm talking about. That that would be where his money would go. That would be where he would, where he would house that. And so when he picks that up and he chucks that aside, what he is saying is he's saying, I need you, Jesus, more than I need all this money because who knows where it's going. He just stands up and throws it aside. And it's gone, right? He's also, Jesus makes statements about old wine and new wine skin and old garments and new garments. He's taken off his old garment and he's going to get his new garment. He's going to become a new creation here very soon when Jesus acknowledges him. He's declaring Christ is more important than his security. He's following the call of God in his life And he is being just like James and John were when Jesus said, follow me. And they dropped their nets and left their dad there on the dock, said, see you, dad, we're gone. And went and followed Jesus. Or like Elisha, one of my favorite stories because it's so just where we've been the last three years or so. When Elijah comes and puts his mantle on him, he says, I want to say goodbye to my family, but that's really, that's the only thing I've got holding me back. I want to say bye to my family. So he says bye to his family, he burns his plow, he kills his ox, and then he eats them. So there's no way they're coming back from that. There's no way back for him. There's only one way, and that way is forward. And for Bartimaeus, it's the same way here. He's cast off his livelihood. He is 
pushed all his chips into the middle, and he's saying, I need you in this moment, Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah God, more than I need anything else in my life. So the story is when, we, when we're called, we got to lay it aside. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be something really trivial. It could be, you know, I got to give up coffee because coffee is in the way of my relationship with the Lord. Or it could be something huge. It could be you've got to get rid of your house and you've got to get rid of most of your stuff and you've got to pack you and your wife and your three kids into a 23-foot trailer behind a church, and you're going to live there for a year and a half. And then you're going to travel all around with these people, and then I'm going to call you maybe halfway around the world, maybe all the way across the country. But you've got to do it. Because when Jesus calls, and you're in that moment right there, and everything that you've done in your life, everything that's happened to you has led you right to this point and Jesus calls you. I'd like to think there's really only one logical response and that's to do what he's calling you to do. Again, going back to the earlier part of Mark 10, you got to count the cost, but following Jesus is greater than that. Nobody, he says, who forsakes husband or wife or mother or father or brother or sister or riches or whatever it is, won't get that back in some form of blessing a hundredfold. Not to say it's going to be in our earthly life, certainly. It could be, but that's not a rule. Could be in the life to come. So when Jesus brings Bartimaeus here, he comes to Jesus. Remember I said we were going to get back to this question. Jesus asks Bartimaeus the same question he asked James, the same question he asked John. What do you want me to do for you? Notice how Bartimaeus answers this question as opposed to the disciples. They wanted whatever they could get from him. They asked Jesus to sit on his right hand and on his left in glory, which Jesus plainly said, that's not mine to give. Only the Father knows who gets that. It's for whoever God has prepared that for. Could be them. We don't know. But Jesus, in that moment, divested of all of his godly omniscience, so to speak. Only the Father knows that. That's his to give. That's not mine to give. They ask him something that he's not able to promise in that moment. And then you have Bartimaeus on the other side, and he says, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Now, those of you that have studied prophecies and and read through the miracles um, that are supposed to be attributed to the Messiah, only the Messiah, only the Christ, could open the eyes of the blind. So while James and John are asking Jesus for something It's not his to give. Bartimaeus is asking Jesus for something that only he can give. And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
as Bartimaeus immediately receives his sight. Jesus heals him, and he confirms Bartimaeus' faith. He validates it. He says, you know what? You have it right, child. I am who you believe that I am. And because you believe that, I'm going to prove it to you by giving you back your sight, which only the Messiah can do. Only the Son of God can do that. I was thinking this week and going over this message, I'm going to pause here a little bit and kind of just tell about where we've been because it's, it's totally, just thinking about it last night, I'm like, that's totally where we're at. Because everything Bartimaeus has had happen in his life has led him right here to this. And he has said, God's coming through. I know only God can do this. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, so I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to throw myself on him and whatever happens, happens. Because this, this is the time that God has appointed for me to, to just lay it all out there and watch him do what he's going to do. In talking with several of, of you, about, probably about half of you, we've gotten a chance to meet over the last three days. Um, I feel like this is a church that God, where God is on the move. And I'm super excited for the potential in this body so much. And I'm reading through this passage again last night thinking, okay, Lord, is there anything else that you want me to say? Anything that, that we can mine out of this? And I read it again and I realize everything that has happened in the last three years, and it's been, if I'm totally honest, more downs than ups <laughs> the last three years in pursuing ministry. Um, we've had, you know, we've been hurt by church, been disappointed in ministry objectives that we thought that's what God was calling us to. But it turns out he didn't waste any of that because I've been to Romania three times and I see in this church and the mentality of this church and the giftings of this church, a lot of things that I've seen in the church that we wanted to serve at in Romania. And we got to talk with Don and Christina yesterday about the fall festival and she's describing it to me and I'm saying, this is the exact thing that we did with this church in France in June. Like, basically nailed on to, I didn't get a chance to tell you that yesterday, but it's, it, it's literally, she's describing it and I'm like, this is just like I'm back in, in Chantilly, France in June. So when I read this and I realize everything that's happened to Bartimaeus is that has brought him to this point and God is passing right before him, moving, and he's right there and Bartimaeus decides to lay hold of it, I'm just like, I kind of got goosebumps a little bit. I'm kind of shaking right now just thinking about, just thinking about that. But that, I want to encourage you guys uh, as, we, as we kind of finish and, and tie this all up into, into a big bow, that God does that for everybody. That we know, when we know that God is on the move, everything that happens in our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the trivial, he doesn't waste any of it. It all brings you to the point where he's there and then the question is, what are you gonna do? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Or alternatively, he might ask, who do you say I am? Am I the Christ, the Son of the living God? Am I Santa Claus? That just gives you whatever you want? 
as long as things are going good? Are you only with me when things are going awesome and when things go bad, you're going to split? Or are you going to believe that everything that I have worked in your life is bringing you to this point? I saw a post on Facebook today. Um, I've seen it before, but it popped across my feed again today, and I figured it was timely. Um, John Piper, Desiring God, says, God is doing probably 10,000 things in your life right now, and you are probably aware of three of them. That's how it feels sometimes. And when those dots finally connect, like they've connected for Bartimaeus, like we believe they're connecting for us, it, I just want to encourage you guys, when, those, when everything kind of starts to fall in place for you guys, just grab onto it and embrace it. And it's a roller coaster, but it's awesome. And there's nothing more uh, fulfilling than deciding, I'm going to take a risk on God here and I'm going to let him do whatever he wants to do here and just trust that it's going to be good for me. Bartimaeus here, he gets, he gets what he hoped for. He gets to meet God in the flesh and God restores his sight. Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus received his sight. What does he do? He follows Jesus on the road. He's like, that's my way now. God has met me here, and this is my way now. So what do we do? The top 10 resolutions from last year, lose weight, get organized, spend less, save more, enjoy life to the fullest, stay fit and healthy, learn something exciting, quit smoking, help others, fall in love, and spend more time with family. Those are all good things, right? But if we have one resolution and one resolution only. Again, I'm going to reiterate the same thing I said. It's when the dust settles and you see, okay, God is moving and he's moving right in front of me and I'm here and I see it and he calls me. How do I respond? Do I respond like the rich young ruler and turn away? Sad because of what it's going to cost me? Or do I realize like Bartimaeus did that Jesus is everything, and I have nothing. I, I have nothing to lose. What is it? It's just stuff, right? So that's my challenge to you guys. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for the fact that we have your word in full, and that we can take the full counsel of your word and study it, and mine it to its depths. I know there are places in the world where they treasure just a fragment of your word, that they don't have the whole thing, but that that's enough for them, Lord. Their hunger is so great to understand you. I pray, Lord, that our hunger too, as we enter a new year, a new journey that's going to be this year of our Lord, 2017, that we would have that thirst and that hunger for your word, that those who have it would maintain it, that those who don't have it would gain it, and that we would chase after you with everything we have because A, you'll give us the blessings back in some form, but B, we don't have anything that's worth hanging on to. You are more valuable than anything. 
So as we seek to worship you more, as we seek to ascribe worth to your person and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to reconcile us to you, Lord, I pray that we would just cling to that and just follow you, that we would look to the blind man who spiritually was able to see and not the able-sighted people who still had the blinders on, Lord. Let him be our example as we ask you to draw us closer to you today and always. In Jesus' name and for your glory, Lord, amen.